Um, I'm going to pray for our time. Um, man, this is great to see you guys here. Nine o'clock and y'all. Um, I'm hoping you guys will be louder than them. They were loud, but you guys were awake, right? You guys didn't go to the early service. But let me pray, and um, I'll teach them a little bit from a psalm this morning, and then we'll continue to worship. So bow your heads if we will. Father, it is so good to be in here uh, to celebrate your goodness. You have been in this neighborhood 50, 60 years proclaiming your goodness through men and women. I pray that 100 years from now that you would still be doing it. Um, but we're here to celebrate this morning. Uh, just a great day in, in this church's history, hopefully one of many great days. I pray for your people to be encouraged, to look and reflect on your goodness and see it. It's tangible um, that your spirit would awaken some who may not know you this morning even. They, they just were invited by a friend and they came. I, I don't know, Lord, but you do work in your people through your word. And so I pray you would do it this morning. I pray by your spirit that you would help me, a sinful, broken man, to encourage your people. I thank you for all the kids that are being taught right now and watched and cared for. I thank you for all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. For Dave and Amy, our missionaries to China, as they speak and encourage your people. Lord, just bear much fruit in your, in your people this morning. For Christ's name's sake, I pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning's a little different, and so we're doing something a little bit different. We're not going to, uh, we're going to start a new series next week, but we will wait. There are certain victories in life that you just look back on and you remember, right? They're kind of etched there, big wins, big victories, whatever it is. One for me, it's still kind of right there in my mind. I can remember October 29th, 2008. No, there was no kids born to me that day, although there, I do have four. This night was different. I'm in the living room, pacing. It's about 11 o'clock at night. I'm wearing my Chase Utley jersey. You know where I'm going with this, some of you. Pacing. It is the top of the ninth inning. There is two outs. The tying run is on second base. We are in the fifth game of the World Series, folks. All right. Brad Lidge on the mound. He throws slider, strike three. Phillies win the World Series. I go bonkers, I go nuts, I go out in the street and yell and scream and I'm going crazy, right? The only problem is my whole family went to bed <laughs> because they're sinners, okay? And they missed probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience, the Phillies winning World Series, okay? That's not going to happen again. It's not as bad as the Cubs, but it's pretty close, okay? But anyway, that is not the way to celebrate a victory. Victories are meant to be celebrated with people. How much better to be at that parade going down Broad Street in Philly? How much better to be in the ballpark screaming, you know, yelling, running, you know, dogpiling people, all that. That is how you celebrate a victory. And this morning, that's what this is about. We want to celebrate a win, right? A win. And there's been thousands of man hours, there has been generosity, there has been prayers, you know, just a lot of things have poured into this day. And so what we want to do is just take just a few moments and linger. Because as, as a culture, we typically, we get to the one thing and then we move on and we move on and we move on and we're kind of in a hurry. I don't want to move past this. In five years, the building will be old hat to us, we'll be used to it, two services will be just kind of normal. I want to linger this morning just a little bit. 
and I want to reflect on the kindness and the goodness of our God who has given us a good gift. All right, so that's what today's about. Um, and I know that a lot of you got a lot of junk out there, right? It, out there is a lot of hardship. Some of you drop kids off at college. Some of your mamas are still crying. I get it, all right? I'm waiting for that day. You're like, no, it's not a sad day. But no, I'm like, yeah, come on, bring it on. <laughs> right? Some of you got job issues. Some of you got relationship challenges. Some of you got health. Those are all real. But just for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, I want you to kind of just escape and be able to celebrate the kindness and goodness of our king. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a psalm. All right? It's a victory psalm. It's a psalm celebrating a win. It's a psalm that teaches us how to celebrate a win. All right? And it's one of the last, if not the last psalms. It's Psalm 149. Many people think that Psalm 150, the last psalm, is actually a benediction. And if that's the case, then Psalm 149 is actually the last psalm. Right, So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you, if you don't have a Bible, there's one right in the seat in front of you. Brand new, kids, no stick fingers, stick figures in the new Bibles, okay? I'm just telling you. Give it a week, please. Uh, but Psalm 149, turn right to the middle of your Bible, that's the Psalms. And this, this Psalm is going to teach us three things just about how to celebrate a victory. I want to look at a response I want to look at a reason. I want to look at a reminder. Real quick. And I'm not going to preach as long as normal so you can celebrate even that this morning. Because um, we're going to sing. But let me read this, what the psalmist says about celebrating a victory. Here's first the response. Verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. All right. So he starts off with a command. Let me share a little Hebrew. New building. Got to give a little language. The Hebrew there is Hallelujah. Right? Aren't you impressed? Now you know some Hebrew. All right? You go tell everyone you know Hebrew. You say it all the time. Hallelujah. Hallel, praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. He gives a command to praise the Lord. The response of a win, of a victory for the people of God is to vocally say something. It's to, to make a physical, vocal response to praise. All right? And, and he says specifically... To do it with a new song. Now, some of y'all love the old songs. I get it. I like the Beatles too, okay? But sometimes it's time to sing a new song. When the God whose mercy is new every morning does something new, there's a new song. And we see this in the Psalms. We see it in Isaiah 42. In the kingdom, there's a new song. In Revelation, in heaven, there is a new song. When God does something new, we sing a new song. That's the response, right? And just by nature, a song is vocal. I know that's kind of like, wow, you, I got learned something new. Singing is a vocal thing. Yes, it's physical and it is vocal. I, and we talk a lot about singing at this church because I've been in a lot of churches with a lot of people and no one sings, right? There's a problem with that. This is a singing room. This was created for you to sing. Right? And we talk about singing a lot here, and we're going to sing a lot today, because singing is important. A victorious, a joyful people, they sing. Right? I know that's hard for some of y'all. I don't know why, but it's hard. Because everyone, when they're kids, little kids, sing. They just do. Because they're joyful, they're not worried about their taxes, whatever, they sing. But something happens when we grow up, we stop singing. Don't know why. When the little kid is at the Christmas, 
you know, musical, and he's wearing his little bow tie sideways. He's four years old. He is screaming joy to the world at the top of his lungs, way off tune. Everyone thinks it's awesome, except his parents. They're like, <laughs> but there, we, we like it then, but sometimes then we just grow up, and all of a sudden we don't sing anymore. Why? Even our, cult, our culture used to be a singing culture, Right? I mean, some of you watch Downton Abbey. I know some of you men, you, you closet Downton Abbey guys. I get you. It's the 90210 of the early 20th century. That's all it is. But what do they do? They often they gather around the piano and they sing. Singing used to be a part of culture. Right? And now maybe it's just a sign of the joylessness of our culture or we're too important, we're too big. We don't sing. What we need to be, what we need to get back to is that childlike joy of that little four-year-old singing joy to the world. That's the response to a win, right? Especially, as the psalmist says, his praise in the assembly of the godly. When the godly or the saints gather, they praise the Holy One. The Holy Ones praise the Holy God. That's what happens in this room, which was created for you to worship, for you to sing. You go to heaven, there is no lip syncing. Are you get that? In fact, we're going to put signs in the parking lot. No lip syncing allowed. The angels are not holy, holy, holy. This angel over here. Gabriel, you ain't singing, dude. Come on. That is not happening. Worship in heaven is a vocal, physical, loud response to a great God. And the people of God, when they gather, that ought to be the case. That ought to be the case. Verse 2. He says, let Israel, let the covenant people of God be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. The, the, one of the things that makes us stand apart from the world is the way we treat our creator. The world, Romans 1, does not acknowledge their creator. They deny their creator. The people of God, they rejoice in their creator, in the one who made them. Right? And notice the language, it's personal, that you, he, you are his creation. He is your creator, that you before the foundation of the world were in his mind, that you are fearfully, that you were wonderfully made. And a culture that says you are, you are too this, you are too thin, you're too fat, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too whatever. God looks at you, church, and says, no, 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 that is good because that reflects me. That is made in my image. That glorifies me. And the church should rejoice in their creator who, who made you specifically with desires, with passions, with gifts, right, to honor him. We rejoice. They reject. We rejoice. We, we have joy in our king. We rejoice in our king. The world rejects leadership. They don't like their president. They don't like their boss. This thing is going to bother me. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Adam. You're moved. Um, the world rejects authority, right? They don't like who's in charge. The people of God, we say, no, no, no. We love our king. He is compassionate. His steadfast love endures forever. He loved his enemies. He pursued them. He lavishes me with his love. He redeems me. He saves me. We rejoice in our king. He is faithless, faithful even when we are faithless. Right? It's a win. And then in verse 3, this is going to make some of you frozen chosen mad, but that's all right. 
How do we rejoice? How do we celebrate? Let them praise his name with dancing. All you Southern Baptists just bowed your head. That's not in the Bible, right? Let them praise his name with dancing. Now, why dancing? Whenever you see dancing specifically in the Old Testament, it's a response to a win, right? So when Pharaoh is cast into the Red Sea, the people of Israel dance. When David brings the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, David dances. When, when there's a military victory, whether it's Jephthah's daughter, whether it's with Saul coming back into Jerusalem and the women shouting, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, they are dancing, now, this is not doing the cotton-eyed Joe for Jesus. That's not what this is. What it is, is is an expression where you're so joyful, you're so overcome with the goodness of God, that your body moves. So some of y'all need to stop with the whole, like, locked-in pans behind. The, we're coming next. I got some songs for y'all. All right, coming up. So you can repent from the way you acted the first set and respond with joy in the second. Right? Making melody to him with the tambourine and the lyre. We don't have a tambourine. We got Shawnee Cash and the drums. Right? We don't have the lyre, but we have the Fender and the Gibson and the Martin. Right? The Martin we don't like. We like Taylor, but that's just Ethan's choice. So that's another story. But the idea is when you are overcome with a win, with victory, you respond. Nobody responds to great news, to excitement, like, well... Oh. Your friend calls you, I'm engaged, hey! he asked me, I said yes. That's great. No one does that. No one celebrates a last second field goal. Yay. No one hears, ladies, you hear there's a, there's a sale at Target, let's go. It's like, I don't care. That's not how you do it. How do you respond? Let's go Target, yay. That's how you respond. How much more when God does something great? That is the point, right? There ought to be a loud, vocal response when the godly people gather to worship their God. All right? It's important. And here's the reason why. And here's my favorite part of the psalm. Here's the reason. Next slide, if you have it. Okay, here's why. Verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure and his people. Underline that. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Now think about this. This is the creator God, the almighty sovereign of the universe, who needs nothing, who wants nothing, who is completely satisfied and complete in himself. And he condescends in such a way, church, that he lets himself delight in you. That you can bring him joy. I'm thinking about this as I'm driving to church this morning. And I'm driving down the Truman and I'm just reflecting on just my week. And it was a tough week. There's, I'm looking back at the sinfulness and my, my just impatience in areas and all these areas. And I'm like, God, I can't teach to your people this morning. I am not worthy to get up on the stage. And I was reminded of this, that God delights even in sinners. Do you realize that? I know some of you came in this morning, you thought God was mad at you. And you thought he's just mean and, and I'm just unworthy. And I look at my week and I'm a mess and I'm broken. You are all those things. But if you are in Christ, church, he delights in you. And that doesn't mean you can just go live your life the way you want. There's things he wants to change and move. But yet he delights 
in sinners. He delights in taking his enemies and making them his children. Right? That is huge for us. No matter where you're at this morning, that you can be encouraged that God delights in his people. And remember who he's talking about. The Israelites were a bunch of knuckleheads. They were just a a rebellious people, and he delights in them. On top of that, here's the kicker. He adorns the humble. The word literally means to crown or to beautify. He beautifies the humble with salvation. He gives them, he beautifies them redemption and reconciliation and, and he's ransomed and he's, he's anointed and he's filled and he's done all these things. That's what he does. And he delights to do it. He gives the humble salvation. So I love the new building. It's unbelievable. It's beautiful. You know what? More beautiful is the fact that we're not doing four services anymore. That's even the most beautiful thing. This is a delight. But you want to know what God really delights in this morning? Just look to your left. Look at the person to your left. Look to your right. That is what God delights in. His church. Because he is not a God who dwells in tents or temples or cathedrals or buildings. He is not impressed with the greatest cathedrals of Rome. He loves his church. He will dwell forever in his church. He delights in his people. He delights in you. Right? That, that's the victory. That's what we celebrate as much as we celebrate the building. And even think about this. Just contextually, remember, rebellious group of, of Old Testament saints. Right? A Jewish people who... For them, if they wanted to experience the presence of God, what did they have to do? They actually had to go up to Jerusalem. They had to go hundreds of miles, some of them, get on a donkey, walk, whatever, walk up to Jerusalem. Then when they got there, they had to go to this building called the temple, which they could only go so far in anyway, because if they were a Jew, they could stand in the outside, like on the front porch. But if they were of the right family, they could get a little bit closer. If they were Levites, they could go a little bit further. And if they were the one Levite from the one clan, they get to one time a year, go into the most holy place with the presence of God was where they would offer some blood in the Ark of the Covenant and get out before their face melted like in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay? One time a year. That was one guy that go into the actual presence of God. And if you were a Gentile, you don't even get to go in the front porch. You're out. You try to step in, they kill you. What happens at the cross of Jesus when he dwells among men, when he tabernacles with his people, when he is crucified, that veil that separates that holy place that that one guy could go in once a year is torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top, showing that it's God who says, I have opened the presence of God. You boldly come to my throne of grace now. You can come through the blood of my son, your substitute, your sacrifice, who I am rising from the dead to proclaim him the son of God in power. Now we have access to the Father from the Son by His Spirit. You have something these guys never would have dreamed. You have a, a, an ability to get closer to God than they could, they never could have fathomed it. That is what we celebrate, right? Great building, yes. Great ministry, yes. Have we grown? Yes. But it's very interesting that Jesus after sending the apostles out, and they were doing all sorts of great ministry, man. They were casting out demons, woo, 
and they're healing people. Woo! And they got all this good stuff going. Woo! And, and they come back and they're all pumped. They're pumped. Jesus, you should have seen it, man. Demons running. Poo! They're gone and I'm healing. Boo! And, this guy, and Jesus says, that's great. That's great. Great ministry. But don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is the victory of victories. That's why we rejoice. And it ought to be loud, and it ought to make you dance, and it ought to make you celebrate, especially in the assembly of the godly. Right? There's a reason. There's a response. And here's one more thing. Just a reminder. Just a quick reminder before we do this. He says, verse 5, let the godly exult in glory. Right? Let them sing for joy on their beds. Don't bring your bed in here. Go home. All right? But he says, when you leave, there ought to be rejoicing still too. Right? That's what we do. But look at verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their throats. And then he changes the tone of the text just a little bit. And a two-edged sword in their hands. Well, that's kind of nice. We're praising and now we're killing people. What is that? We're, all right? He goes on. To execute vengeance on the nations, punishment on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. What's going on here? I don't have a lot of time to, to unpack this, but here's the idea. We are worshipers, yes, but we are also warriors. Now, not the type of warriors in the Old Testament where they went out and they were driving people out of land. We are not commanded to do that, right? So we're not saying go out and kick tail in the name of Jesus. That's not what we're saying. Because our battle, what, is, what does Paul say, is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the powers of darkness. And how interesting is it that Paul then tells us, what's the weapon of our warfare? It is the word of God, which is a two-edged sword, which is exactly what he says here. The reminder is this. The, this, this victory, it's, it's one just small victory in the big war. And God is sending you out to be his warriors. Warriors doesn't mean you're a jerk. Just, just telling you. Right? In fact, there's this great old hymn called, Lead On, O King Eternal. I don't know how it goes, but I know the words. Let me read it to you. Just one, one verse. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war has ceased, and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. God has sent you out there to love people, to proclaim his goodness. Right? That is the war. Look, if y'all were here at 9 o'clock, some of you were, the enemy was afoot this morning, y'all. Let me just tell you. Yesterday, everything's working fine in this building. It was like, woo! This morning, they come in, the screen's not working. At 9 o'clock, it was blue. All right, we're thinking, what are we going to do? You know why? Because the enemy did not want you to worship Christ this morning. He did not want you to proclaim Christ. At, we had elders praying. We had people praying. At 9.02, it went up. Right? Because we, were, we wouldn't have stopped this anyway because I got 500 sheets right there with all the lyrics. Okay? Because we were up there. But even when we were trying to do that, the copier broke. And then Microsoft broke, which is not unusual for Microsoft, by the way. But... I mean, it was like the enemy was trying to keep us from worshiping. But what? what? Our king has conquered. He has disarmed the rulers and the authorities and the powers. 
at the cross, he triumphed, Colossians 2. And that kind of victory demands a vocal response from the people of God, right? And, and I think what this psalm is saying also is it's the last psalm before the benediction, just like at the end of Scripture. What happens in Revelation 19? Jesus returns from heaven riding a white horse. Who is behind him? You and me riding white horses. You say, I don't like riding horses. You're going to ride a horse. <laughs> you don't get a choice in that matter. But we come in behind our victorious king and he executes judgment. And very interestingly, it says he does it with a sword from his mouth. Sounds a lot like this psalm. And I think what this psalm is indicating is in the end, our king rides in and we come in behind him. And we are executing his judgment with him. And then it closes by saying this is the honor for all his godly ones. You get to be a part of what he is doing. But it's like the guy on the bench of the basketball team. He's sitting on the end. He wears his warm-ups and he never takes them off. His shoes look new because he doesn't play. But the guy on the court is the stud and he's winning all the games. He's scoring all the points. And at the end, he wins the championship and we're on the team. And we did nothing. Woo! We win. Really, we didn't win. He won. He just won it for us. That's what happens. That's our king, our creator, our God. And so we celebrate his victory. But we remember, hey, this is not done. Because what I don't want this place to turn into is the one of so many churches that were preaching the gospel in this city 100 years ago. And today they are dead. Right? It's real, it, it, it's real easy to go from a movement to a museum to a mausoleum where everyone's dead. And we can, the moment we start sitting around thinking, oh, look, at, look how pretty, look at God, look what we've done. We're, we're now in the monument stage, the museum stage, where we're looking back and, oh, remember that? And pretty soon we're in the mausoleum. we got to stay a movement. You know how we do? We remember the battle is not over. God is not done. We got a building now, and what this does, it puts you guys, now you are accountable. When we're in that building, people are driving by like, where's that church? Couldn't be that place because it's like, you know, there's paint coming off the walls and the windows are, you know, falling out. Now there's this building, people drive by, they're like, well, well yeah, okay, something's going on there. Now it's our responsibility, right? People in this neighborhood, they're going to be coming. We are the people of God. He has given you and me the task to take his message to the South Gardens and beyond. We got missionaries from China. That's kind of sounds very you know, stereotypical, but we do. They are underground China. They're in the, in the fellowship hall right now or the coffee area. We don't want to be a church that just does South Gardens. We want to take the gospel of the world, but we don't want to forget South Gardens. It's on us now. We are not going to turn into a monument church. We want to be a movement. And that's on all of us. Following our king eternal. Worshiping our creator king. Right? The battle is not over. It's just one. I want to revel in it. I want to get excited about it. But guess what? Next week, we're coming back. And we're going to preach. And we're going to move. And we're going to do the same exact thing that we did over there. Right? And so we need to be ready. And let me just say this. You have one chance to celebrate the opening of this facility. It's right now. All right, next week it'll be your second weekend. In two months it'll be old hat. You got one chance to celebrate for the first time. Don't leave anything on the table. If you smack somebody next to you, that's a good thing. All right? 
If you're waving and, you know, people can't see, who cares, right? They should be waving too. They can go the other way. It'll be good. It'll kind of look like you're choreographing it, right? Just don't leave anything on the table. Honor Christ with the way you worship, right? Celebrate his goodness. Remember where he's taken us from and look forward to where he's moving us because he will continue to use us if we stay humble and keep seeking him. Let's stand and let's worship. Let me pray. Father God, you are good, you are gracious. Please use this building to glorify your son. Take his name, take his message, take his gospel to the nations. And may this be a launching ground for men and women and boys and girls. I pray in this room that people would come to faith, that eternal destinies would be changed in this room, that marriages would be strengthened, restored, even found in this room. I pray for young men and women that they would grow up being encouraged towards Jesus. I pray that you would send people to places that don't have Christ from this room. I pray that we as a church would not turn into a, a museum, that we would stay a movement of God. That's, that's up to you, Lord, but we want to stay humble and we want to stay kind and we want to stay loving. And so please... Do that through us, your church. Thank you for delighting in us when we don't deserve it. It's in Christ's name I pray.